This is the Manga Mavericks Podcast from AllComic.com, episode 55. We are a podcast not only dedicated to talking about manga as a medium, but as an industry. I'm Colton. And I am Sid, and this week we are talking about some jump starts and some one-shots. This is our third podcast this year. I think we've devoted just to talking about a recent batch of jump starts and one-shots, but there's been a lot this year, and they deserve their own podcast work of discussion. You know, I, I don't I don't mind just jumpstart focused episodes. The you know, they make for nice short and sweet episodes, which is what people want from us anyway. <laughs> So, yeah. you know, so it works out. But uh, yeah, okay, what 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 jumpstarts are we going to be talking about this week, Sid? We'll be talking about Seiji Tanaka, General Secretary to the Managing President, General Time Industries. We'll be talking about Alice and Tayo, Taikubo's new one shot, Burn the Witch, and a special One Piece one shot by the creators of Food Wars, Shokugeki no Sanji. Hmm. Yeah, a lot of really interesting stuff to talk about this episode that, uh, again, we probably should have gotten to earlier, but sometimes things get in the way, like conventions and all the news that uh, comes out of those. So, you know, we already took care of that last episode, so now we can finally talk about stuff we're actually reading. <laughs> That's right. And perhaps stuff we might get more of in the future. Who knows? Maybe. Um. But I guess we might as well just get started. Um... So I guess I can talk about uh, Seiji Tanaka real quick from uh, Keiji Amatsuka. And uh, it's about a high schooler named uh, Nagato Tokioka. And he's essentially, you know, your typical slacker. He doesn't really want to do anything but just, you know, sit around at home playing video games. Uh, sort of aimless as far as, like, what his, like, uh, career goals should be. Um, you know, he's he's considered, uh, what is it, the 65th generation slacker or something weird like that uh some funny title like that but um you know as it turns out um he's actually in 20 years supposed to be uh the company president of basically a company that like uh that basically manages like time travel and makes it like um i guess profitable because uh, i guess in the future people can actually use time travel for like really uh, like useful things like uh like accident insurance and like receiving like uh uh parcels in the mail and like stuff like that by using time travel and it's really uh really interesting stuff like that uh and we know this because his his secretary Seiji Tanaka comes back uh from the future in time uh to basically uh I guess protect uh Tokioka from uh people from a rival company uh, that essentially like steals all of his technology and his employees uh, for their own personal gain, and they're basically coming back in time to like try to kill him so that like he can't ever like start up his company. No, their goal is mainly to own the concept of the time machine outright. So they're gonna kill him and then take credit for the idea themselves. Exactly. Thank you. Um, and basically throughout all this, you have Tanaka being the best secretary ever, you know, protecting Tokioka with uh, with his many, uh, many interesting uh, battle tactics, like throwing business cards at people. <laughs> and it's, I'm, I'm sorry, it's like, I, I couldn't finish that without like, just giggling to myself, because it's like, th this this series so far has a lot of like, really cool, but stupid things like that, where like, you know, a Tanaka 
obviously takes um, being Tokioka's secretary very seriously. Um, and he, he has a lot of really interesting, like, really, mu- really, like, cool, but really stupidly mundane tactics like that. Like I said, like throwing business cards at people, uh, st- uh, stamping people with the seal of approval and a, a lot of really, like, again, stupid stuff like that. But throughout all this, you know, basically Tokioka finds it in himself the motivation to want to start up this company and, you know, make like double what he was already going to make in the future, um, essentially. Because I think uh, Tanaka mentions that he makes like 50 trillion yen or something, but t- uh, Tokioka decides, well, you know what? I'm going to do even better and make 100 trillion yen in, you know, stuff like that. So he finally finds the motivation to actually start up this company in the future. And basically from there, like, they have to find uh, the the three people that are considered, like, illuminaries and very influential in the future that, like, help him start up this company. And uh, that's basically kind of the premise of the series going forward so far. Um, And so I guess, uh, Sid, what did you think of Seiji Tanaka so far? Well, it's kind of interesting because my immediate thoughts when seeing the character design of Seiji Tanaka was, oh, wow, this is basically a Sakamoto fanfic. Uh, haven't you heard? I'm Sakamoto. <laughs> this is a spinoff where Sakamoto is a secretary. And basically, Seiji Tanaka is as crazy, ridiculous, and good at everything as Sakamoto from that series. I mean, it's not just in the looks, just everything he does and his straightforward seriousness and deadpan mannerisms, even when doing eccentric, crazy things, it's just <laughs> pretty much dead on that exact same character. Actually, I I totally did not make that connection, and I feel stupid for not thinking about that because, <laughs> yeah, that's to actually really what this is. But what I um what I like about Seiji Tanaka compared to Sakamoto is that and I'm not sure if I've had the um, the chance to like say this on the show or not, but I I'm actually not like super into Sakamoto personally because like I don't know what it is. I think I have a really hard time getting in the series in particular that like are like where the comedy is supposed to come from one joke, and I don't know that might just come down to my taste and humor. Um, like, and I know people might say the same thing about stuff like, you know, One Punch Man or something, but like the difference between like, I guess, um, Seiji Tanaka and Sakamoto, I mean, how do, how do I, how do I say this? Um, I like Seiji Tanaka kind of has that same thing going where it's like, it's like you said, oh, well, you know, he's basically like really good at everything and can do no wrong. And he's basically the best at what he does. But I think what this has that Sakamoto didn't have for me is that I think there is a potentially really strong emotional core to the series and where, like, obviously, I I think it's safe to say that Tanaka has a really strong relationship with Tokioka because he t- goes on about how, like, you know, how he believes in Tokioka and how, like, you know, he knows Tokioka better than anyone because, you know, he's a secretary. Um I don't know, like, I could see down the line there being some kind of, like, um, I don't know, maybe some kind of, like, sad, tragic backstory as to, like, how, uh, like, Tanaka and Tokioka met and how they, and how Tanaka, like, became his secretary, something like that. I feel like there's probably, like, I think there's more to that relationship that we're not seeing at the moment, and I'm really interested in maybe finding out, like, um, finding out more about the relationship and how it, like, formed. 
I wasn't necessarily too impressed with the connection between Tanaka and uh, Tokioka. Like, I wouldn't, like, would find it so endearing that it made me sold on the series. But I do really like the sentiments that Tanaka really believes in Tokioka and that inspires Tokioka to kind of get his act together and try really hard. And so the second chapter is probably my favorite of the three because Tokioka really buckles down and does an insane assignment in one night, which is like a many years worth of assignments. It's like this giant stack of papers, you know, in order to just accomplish the goal of finding the potential world stream member in their school. He manages to do this act, even though he's a notorious slacker, even though he's not a very studious student. He does it. He completes his assignment in one night. Because he's like that dedicated and that uh, he believes in it that much. And he in the, he also does twice the work in the end. So I actually was really impressed by Tokioka as a character more than Tanaka. Because even though he was established as this kind of goofball slacker, I think you see through these three chapters glimpses of the fact that, oh, this guy is really hardworking and he's actually a lot smarter or can be a lot smarter than he lets on when he really applies himself. Exactly, yeah. But I guess, yeah, as far as like the comparisons between this and like Sakamoto goes, because it's it's not entirely the same concept, but they, they have like... They they have similar, I guess, um, aspects to both of them. Again, where they're dealing with characters that basically can just do anything. But like I said, there's, I I feel like there's there's potential for a really good emotional uh, narrative for Seiji Tanaka somewhere down the line, um, in some way, shape, or form. Whether it be, I guess, Tokioka's growth as a character, uh, or us finding out more about you know, whatever relationship Tokioka has with Tanaka and whatnot. Like, I think there's a lot of potential for some really, for some really interesting character stuff down the line there. And also something I, I didn't notice until, um, until I kind of reread, uh, these three chapters was that, um, cause, uh, I don't think we talked about this, but on a recent, like, cover of Shonen Jump, they had all of their current authors, basically. I'm I'm going to assume draw characters that, like, inspire them in their work, like, you know, you had, like, Oda draw Luffy and, uh, you know, uh... You mean Oda draw Goku? Yeah, sorry. <laughs> uh, Oda draw Goku. Although it might as well just be Luffy wearing a wig. <laughs> I, yeah, I, I mean, yeah, I guess, can you blame me? Uh, <laughs> but, uh, but, yeah, yeah, basically all these different authors drawing the characters that supposedly probably, like, really inspired them in their work, and... I thought it was interesting that uh, the author of uh, Seiji Tanaka drew Ichigo, because mm-hmm. uh, I was I was just kind of interested. Like, oh, okay, he's a fan of Bleach. That's kind of that's kind of interesting. But like rereading these chapters, like it's really easy to see like how much he's influenced by Kubo's art because I feel like I feel like there are a lot of similarities between both this and like Kubo's art. In, in like the way like he'll um he'll like bold out uh like certain speech bubbles and uh just just the way he can go from like minimalistic art as far as like the comedy and gags go to like really serious really cool looking action panels and just the just a lot of really interesting like nuances in um in his art that I think uh, Kubo had as well 
Yeah, there's a rough, sharp looseness to the art, which is what I think of when I think of Bleach. Like, every pose the character makes is dynamic, but also the angles he draws, his line work is very sharp and angular. Yeah, and just the way, like, he uses, like, shading and shadows and whatnot uh, to kind of cover up his characters. Like, that, 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 that's, like, the kind of stuff I would expect to see from Bleach. But also the way he uses simplicity. There's several panels where he just draws Tokioka's head is an outline almost he doesn't like put in many of the features just like the bare essentials to indicate here are his eyes and here are his mouth and an outline of his ear and i really thought that was very interesting about the artwork of the series is that the mangaka was just so confident in like just using the visual shorthand for here is this character you know what he looks like here is me like simplifying him to like the most simplest extent and you're still getting all the emotion you need out of the character without me having to draw in every detail of his features. I thought that was a very interesting choice and I think it really does accentuate the comedy when he employs that style. Oh yeah, so yeah, it was just kind of surprising to me like on my second reread how like how much uh, Amatsuka's art just really reminded me of Kubo's in a lot of places. Um, you could you could tell he takes a lot of influence from him. Um, I guess one other thing that like kind of surprised me was that, uh, and I guess you know if you don't want to be spoiled, you skip ahead like a minute or two. But I really like that twist at the end of chapter three where it turns out you know because they're they're basically looking for one of the world's three, you know, essentially the person who like ends up actually inventing time travel. And, uh, yeah, it turns out that, uh, like, b- because of, like, you know, they basically read their, uh, their person's, like, kanji wrong, you know, they end up finding, like, the wrong person at first, and then it turns out at the end of the third chapter, like, oh, okay, well, this is the person that we're supposed to be looking for, and it turns out to be, you know, this girl that, uh, you know, Tokioka kind of likes, you know, uh, Akari, I think her name is. Yeah. I really, I really like that twist in that, like... You know, because like, because the original person they found, and I forget his name, and I don't really care. Uh, he's he's so like, like you know, I should have I should have seen it coming that like he wasn't going. He, he didn't look like the kind of person to like invent such like advanced technology. Like I kind of like the twist where it's like, oh, we actually have like a, uh, we actually have like a potential uh, interesting like female lead here who can actually like invent really cool things. <laughs> Um, so I just, I really like that idea in general. Yeah, I like her character that when she gets serious and like really like into her inventing and, you know, just gets a more assertive, aggressive mindset, you know, I like that attitude she can get, you know, she starts out, you know, she's kind of meek and she's kind of not passive, but she's not very like confrontational she's kind of like worried a little bit but you know once she gets into the swing of like okay you know i'll get serious now tie up my hair and then she builds this insane robot that shoots laser beams which is awesome but then she goes like and threatens like the fake Genda Genai guy with the drill and she's like a punk like you doesn't get to tell me what's impossible and yeah that was a badass that was awesome and I was like yeah cool this character seems like she has a lot of potential 
Yeah, so uh, I really appreciated that twist. But um, yeah, I think overall, like, I didn't know how I felt about the series at first, just because of like how over the top it was. But honestly, like, I kind of want to read more of it. I I at least want to see where it goes. Yeah, I mean, this is a series I'd keep reading, which I mean, for me, like, I read everything in jumps. So it's like, if they ran it, I would be, yeah, I would just read it just naturally but i don't know if i'm like that compelled to see the thing chapter three ended off in the place where like okay i want to see more of this character because now i'm like interested in okay how does she invent the time machine and like you know how is she gonna interact within this group now and what are the other two like if this character is like this so you know, I guess I am interested in, like, seeing who the other worlds three are and then what where the story goes a little bit. But I guess I'm not, I'm not, it's like, oh, yeah, I, my attitude is like, oh, yeah, uh, I'll, I'm interested in where this is going. But I'm not like, oh, my God, I need to read this. I need to know where this is going. It's more like, yeah, you know, this was, this is enjoyable and I'll keep reading it. But I'm just not feeling compelled to read it. I'm not feeling that itch that I want to, yes, that. I want to like have more of this in my life necessarily. Mm, so it's so it's not like on the level of act age, let's say, where it's like, man, I just I just want to I just want to read this forever. Yeah, act age. That's what act age left me. It was like, oh my god, I need more of this, and I'm not like, oh my god, I need more of Stage Naga. I'm like, oh, I you know I still read this if uh, Jump ran it. You know, I am interested in seeing where it could go. So it's, like, way more tempered of a reaction. Mm, I could see that. And I mean, like, I think think it's safe to say that I'm probably at least a little more interested than you are personally. But, like, I'm also, I don't know, it's really, it's really hard for me to describe. Like, I'm, I'm not necessarily, like, I guess I'm, I'm not necessarily, like, really itching for it either. But, like, I like it enough to where, like, I think it has a lot of potential. And I would actually, like, like, if this were picked up, I would probably actually read it week to week, which is saying much because, like, I'm very, personally, I, I like to think I'm very picky about what I read week to week. Um, if yeah, something really just does not. <laughs> you don't read everything in Jump. <laughs> I was gonna say anything. Um, I don't know, like, I'm, I'm just, I'm very picky about what I read week to week, because it's like, that's, I don't know, like, this is sort of exaggerated, but like, that's, I feel like that's my time that I'm giving to a series. And if I'm going to be giving my time to something that I'm, you know, that I need to, that I have to read weekly, then, you know, just personally, I want, I want it to be something that I know I'm going to enjoy, or that I, I at least am going to have interest in. So that's why I'm kind of picky with my stuff. But, you know, again, I, I like it enough to where I would read it week to week if I had the option to. Uh, but I can understand it, understand you not being like super engaged with it. But uh, yeah, I don't know. I I thought this was enjoyable, though. I really liked it. Mm-hmm. Um, but I guess we can move on to the next one, Sid, if you just want to talk about that one for a little bit. Sure. Our next jump start is Alice in Tayo by Takahide Totsuno. This series is a musical manga. It's about this musician named Tayo Suzuki who kind of, like, just makes his own music, and he uploaded it onto, basically, YouTube and stuff. And overseas, a singer called Alice, you know, high school singer, she saw it that when she was, like, in the States. And then she moved to Japan and moved to Suzuki School. 
And by chance, she happened to encounter him and recognized that he was the guy that wrote that song she really liked. And so then, like, she tries to get Suzuki to team up with her so they can form a band. And their goal is basically to win a Grammy, to get to the Grammys. And that's basically the plot in a nutshell. And through the course of these three chapters of the Jumpstart run, Tayo's character arc is that he basically needs to overcome his stage fright and his fear of performing and fear of basically being mocked and ridiculed for his music because he's always worried that his music isn't good enough. He's like embarrassed to perform because he doesn't think it is good enough but ultimately when a chance arrives where the lights are all gone due to like lightning striking the auditorium and so Alice's mic doesn't work and so she needs some backup music and so you know under the cover of darkness Taya works up the confidence you know to play the piano and provide a musical accompaniment for Alice to sing alongside and it's a really great performance and then someone records that performance and I don't know if that there's been a follow up on that I don't remember I I think uh, somebody made a comment about how it was getting a lot of like a, like attention online like it was getting a lot of views or whatnot because at the end of the third chapter, they uh, I think they they get an email or something or message from uh, from a from a television producer who wants them to oh, like yeah, perform yeah. on television. So yeah, I'm I'm sure that pro- that's probably what led to that. But um, but no, yeah, um, I'm I'm not exa- I'm not entirely sure like how I feel about the series so far. Not that I think it's like. I, I certainly don't think it's like bad or anything. I I thought I think it's really interesting so far. I I think it's more so that like that like it, it takes three chapters for the series to kind of set up like what is the actual goal here? Like where is the finish line? Like what are they actually like striving towards? Because like you know, but before Alice makes any kind of mention of the Grammys, she's just kind of like, yeah, we're gonna make beautiful music and we're gonna take over the world. You know, her intentions are a little vague, and I kind of like that we get that we kind of have like a a clear like goal as to like what they're actually working towards. So, like, I think you know, if anybody wants to like get into Alice and Tayo, I think it's necessary to read like those first three chapters. Like for me, like the first chapter wasn't really enough. Like I thought it was interesting, but it was like, eh, I'll I'll give it a little bit longer to to see like where it's going. I think the first few chapters are just a good use of basically the jumpstart run. I don't know how yeah. conscious the Japanese mangaka are of how, how uh, English readers are, you know, previewing their series. But in terms of like having like a short mini arc right at the beginning of the series to kind of like develop Tayo as a character within these three chapters. And then by the end of the third chapter kind of set up, this is where they are going to go. This is their goal in the series. I think it works quite well to have that like three chapters set up. It kind of... It kind of allows them not to, like, cram all that story just within the first chapter, but, like, spend the first chapter just focused on establishing the characters, and then the next two chapters work as a pair to kind of, okay, let's close off, like, this this uh, element of the uh, Tayo's character arc that we introduced in the first chapter, 
and then let's in- use these two chapters to introduce the goal and then potential places these characters will go from this point. So I think it it worked out in terms of how it was planned in terms of like each ha- where each chapter led, like the direction each chapter led to. Um, I I guess my question is like, do you, do you feel like you have any desire to like if if this were picked up? Uh, by jump like well i mean i i guess it's useless because you would probably read it anyway but like (laughs) yeah (laughs) i guess like i guess my question is how much do you want to read this weekly compared to i guess seiji tanaka in particular a lot more than seiji tanaka actually because i found the characters of tayo and alice quite endearing I think, well, they are simple characters right now. You know, just the characterization of them is entertaining and interesting enough for me. Like, I like Tayo's character arc within these first three chapters of getting over, like, stage fright and getting over being afraid of people, you know, criticizing and being very harsh about his music and on him for his music. I like Alice's upbeat personality. I like her playfulness. I like how she's often drawn with kind of cat-like mischievous expressions. She's a lot of fun. And I think both of them make a quite a good pair. And I think that their character designs are pretty nicely drawn. And I like the art in the series in general. So I think the combination of elements also, of course, is being about a premise that I just find myself very interested in. I always have really enjoyed musical manga and music-based series. And even in a soundless medium, just the enthusiasm and passion for music that is expressed by the characters generally is enough to endear me or like get me to buy into the series even if I'm not hearing the music itself while I'm you know reading the manga and I think that the series does do a good job in order to show hey these characters are having a lot of fun playing and have they're having a lot of fun singing and so that goes a long way and you know making it work as a musical based manga So, yeah, I think the combination of elements, again, just is a lot more appealing and endearing to me than Seiji Tanaka, which there were a lot of disparate elements in Seiji Tanaka I liked, but not most of the elements, like in Alice and Tayo, did I, you know, find completely, you know, uh, up my alley or completely, like, to my, you know, taste and, like, what I really like about series or what I find interesting in a premise and stuff. Hmm. That's interesting. Cause I, I, I find it funny how like, I, I feel like I'm kind of the opposite of you where it's like, I'm actually, as far as just like reading something weekly is concerned, I'm a lot more interested in reading Seiji Tanaka weekly than I am Alice and Tayo. And I think that's because Alice and Tayo seems to be more of like a, uh, as far as the pace goes, a, a bit of a slower series, uh, in, in comparison. Um, I, I feel like Alice and Tayo is something I would actually. I feel like I would get more out of it if I read Alice and Ch- uh, Alice and Tayo in chunks more than like just one chapter at a time, because it it feels like so far this is the kind of series where like you're not going to get a whole ton of the story like in every chapter per week. That's just my um I guess opinion of it so far. I don't know like 
I guess, uh, obviously, I don't know anything that happens past chapter three, so I, maybe I could be wrong, but, you know, I, I still have, I have interest in reading this, especially considering, like, it's kind of in that same category as, like, um, you know, Act Age, where it's like, I really just want to see more jump manga about, like, the arts, like, you know, about singing and about acting and, you know, just stuff like that, like, I find that a really interesting, like, subject to cover in shonen manga, and uh, I really, I really kind of like this trend that uh, hopefully they'll keep going with in the future. I like this new direction uh, for some of their manga that they're taking. But, uh, but yeah, Alice and Tayo in particular, I, I liked it. But again, yeah, I think this is something I would rather let build up and just kind of check back with every once in a while to catch up. But again, that's just me personally. In terms of story content, I think that Alice and Tayo has a lot of story in each chapter, but compared with Seiji Tanaka, there aren't, uh, there isn't a resolution in every chapter in the same way Seiji Tanaka has. Whereas the first three chapters of Seiji Tanaka have a conflict, and that conflict is resolved in that chapter. Whereas with Alice and Tayo, things bleed over into the other chapters. And so, within chapters one and two, you don't start off with a subject, and that subject isn't resolved within that chapter in of itself. No, yeah, I, I, I think I think you said it best. Yeah, I think that's the thing uh, keeping me from wanting to read this weekly at least right away. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this seems like a series with more long-term storytelling. And probably longer form story arcs, where Seiji Tanaka, like you said, has a quicker pace. And towards the beginning, I can definitely see Seiji Tanaka having more episodic style chapters. And even when it moves into arcs being more shorter, brisker arcs, kind of in the vein of Black Clover. Whereas Alice and Tayo would definitely be a series where I, I gotta imagine like Beck, even though Beck was a monthly manga and so, you know, that also prolonged its pace, but kind of in that vein, storylines in Beck, and Nana for that, man, I guess with all the musical manga examples I can think of, like, storylines would last quite a while, and so the per-chapter kind of story was not necessarily the most satisfying, but the long-term storytelling was very satisfying. I can definitely see that being the case for Alice and Tayo as well, even with a weekly pace. Yeah. Um, also, like, this is also just the kind of thing that, like, I would love to see animated just because, you know, it's it's dealing in music. Not, not that I necessarily think, like, you know, this series does a bad job at, like, depicting music or anything, just that I would love to hear these performances come to life. Like, I hope if Alice and Tayo gets a big enough, like, fan base and gets enough, like, attention and interest, I hope maybe it can get a really good anime. That would be really cool. That's definitely a barrier to entry for some people when it comes to musical manga. The fact that in a series about music, you can't hear the music. In in general, like, I can't imagine how hard it is to actually try and depict music in a, again, in a soundless medium. Like, that has to be a challenge. It's very difficult, but miraculously, there's been several of incredibly successful and incredibly good series about music that just knock it out of the park. Right now, I think Alice and Tayo is doing just enough to get it across. I think that it can definitely do even better because I've seen the heights 
that that kind of story can reach in manga in series like Beck. So uh, we'll just have to see if this series runs for a long time, whether it can capture the emotion of a performance of a song without having the music for the reader to listen to when they're, you know, reading the manga. Mm -hmm. But I know that is also, again, a barrier to entry for a lot of people. Without the music, they just can't get into a series like this. I remember that even with Straighten Up uh, back a few years ago, people couldn't get into it because they were dancing along to music. But because you didn't hear that music they were dancing to, like it was just hard to get a sense of like the rhythm of their dancing. So it's definitely been a complaint I've heard lobby at series like this that rely on a musical element. So in that sense, I feel like Seiji Naka might be more appealing to more people. But then again, I am not, I don't know necessarily if like in general, people have a problem with musical manga. And I, I guess they, it probably isn't a problem for most people considering how many successful musical manga there are. But I get who knows if Shonen Jump readers, that demographic will feel the same. Yeah, that that'll be really interesting. But no, yeah, I think um, uh, I, I I think both of these jump starts in general were pretty good, though. Yeah, I was very happy with them. In general, I feel like this year has been pretty good with the jump starts so far. No real misses, I would say. At least nothing that I can think of. Well, actually, Ziga. Ziga. I, I didn't yeah. get Ziga, <laughs> and uh, quite rightfully, it was very quickly canceled. And the first of those canceled <laughs> within that round. In fact, Jujutsu Kaisen seems the only one of that round with any legs. It's actually doing quite well for itself, which, you know, I actually gave it a lot of credit in our review back uh, when we reviewed it. So, hey, I made a good call there. <laughs> I guess so. I mean, I'm still rooting for both uh, Act Age and Noah's Notes, but I mean, yeah, I think I think so far, just me personally, I'm... I've been the least receptive to Jujutsu Kaisen, ironically speaking, now that it's like, I guess, apparently doing pretty well. So it'll it'll be interesting to see if like, you know, I, I guess maybe if it gets picked up or something and like we review like the first like year or two's worth of chapters or something in the future. I don't know. I'm kind of interested in seeing where it goes as far as that goes, seeing like, you know, because... I was I remember being kind of lukewarm on it, but like I'm interested in seeing if it actually gets better, but I guess that's neither here nor there. Um but no, yeah, I, I agree. Like jump starts this year have been very strong and I've liked pretty much most of them, um, as far as I can remember. I'm interested in seeing I mean, I don't know, I feel like it'll probably end up being act age, but I wonder if like I'm wondering what my favorite will be like by the end of the year when we do our like best of manga episode. Yeah, the year is only a little more than half done, so we still probably will get one or two more rounds of jump starts before the year is over. So there might be some surprises left in store yet. But I guess we can move on to Burn the Witch then. That we can, Taikubo's new manga. Whereas Bleach was about Eastern mythology, very Japanese kind of mythology, and I'm all about like the undead spirits kind of ghostly demonic creatures and soul reapers and all that. 
Burn the Witch takes a more Western style direction in terms of both setting and in terms of its mythology. It's set in London in England and instead of fighting hollows or like demon ghost things, they fight dragons, which functionally are kind of like the hollows of the series in terms of the fact that dragons in terms of this universe and in this context of the series is a catch-all turn for basically anything that people cannot normally see. And so the dragons kind of are living in this parallel kind of world to the real world in London. They're living in this reverse London, basically. And in the reverse London, there is an agency that is tasked to handle basically dragon conservation and controlling the population and, you know, managing them and stuff called the Wingbind uh, Headquarters. And we find out that the Wingbind Headquarters is like a branch of uh, Soul Society later. So we got a bleach connection. But basically the job of the wing branch conservationists is that they, you know, go out and deal with any dragon related problems. And so dragons can be pests, but they also can be natural resources that can be like used for various things. Like you can use dragons to mine electricity or as food and stuff. But also dragons are born out of kind of like how hollows are distorted by the negative emotions of humans. Dragons are also born out of the negative emotions of humans. At least they're giving like a manifested physical form. And so that plays into this chapter in the sense that the male lead, the love interest I guess. The stalker? I don't know. Uh, Bargo? Yeah, stalker. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Pervert, sexual predator. Uh, All around, (laughs) good for nothing jerk. I I don't know. I I did not care for this character. Uh, Because he's, he's so perverted, so obsessed with the main character, Noelle's the titular witch is uh, Noelle and Nini are bird conservationists, by the way. So he's so obsessed with Noelle's knickers, which is, you know, her underwear, that he uh, turns his dog into basically a dragon. Or, to be more accurate, like, the dog was already a kind of a dragon. It was already dead. And so, like, you know, it's just that Bargo's obsessive thoughts about <laughs> Noelle's knickers... Caused it to transform fully into a dragon. And then the dragon is all screaming about, you know, Bargo's single-minded desire for knickers. So, you know, dragons, you know, grow from the negative emotions of people and whatever. So, you know, it's kind of weird and funny. I love love how you just have a dragon that just like whose roar is literally like if you read like the japanese sound effects his roar is literally pansu <laughs> which is also something i really enjoyed about the translation of this one shot is that uh cuz clearly like obviously it takes place in london they 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 use like you know british like slang and terminology in in the in the uh, translation so i really enjoyed the attention to detail as far as uh, the dialogue and the translation goes it really made it it really made like the setting feel um that much more authentic 
Mm-hmm. Shout out to Brandon. Hopefully we can have him on the show sometime. But, yeah, so, basically, in the climax of the chapter, like, the main conflict, so, Margo's dog, Ozushi, becomes a dragon because he can't stop thinking about Noah's sneakers, so they have to stop it, but they also have to, like, get rid of Bargo and his best friend Selby because humans cannot interact with dragons, that's a crime, and they gotta be executed, basically. So, ultimately, Noelle's, like, partner, Nini, tries to take out Selby, Bargo's best friend, but it turns out Selby was also a dragon, because the real Selby died ten years ago, and all this time for ten years, uh, Selby has just been growing off of negative emotions and energy around him, biding his time... I guess, for this moment where he would encounter witches and then eat them and become immortal. Which, by the way, the uh, design for this dragon is amazing. I don't know how, I don't even know how to say it. It's like so, like, unconventionally, like, terrifying. It's like, it's abstractly terrifying the way that, like, his head, like, kind of, like, is shaped into a spiral and, like, his mouth kind of, like, opens like it's really hard to describe but like it's just it's yeah it's corkscrew shaped it spirals around like you can see there's teeth within like this shape of the map but he can like jut it out like a projectile and extend it so it's like extremely sharp and like he can coil it around and stuff so the way it moves so snake-like but also the fact that its face is so broken up like that is just it makes it a very terrifying creature, but it also, like, has some flexibility because it also can look cartoonish in a way in some close-ups because it has, you know, very big eyes and but and very, like, jagged teeth. Kubo's dragon's designs are, like, top-notch. Like, they're all really good. Yeah, Kubo has also been inc- an incredible character designer, and his creature designs have always been really stand out and one of the most notable and you know fascinating parts of his series like back in bleach like his hollow designs were all incredible in terms of like being scary but also being you know silly at times and in general just being unique looking antagonists even if they were ultimately you know only meant to be fodder like just the fact that a normal hollow looked so threatening and so spooky it gives a lot of flavor to that series and that's the case of burn the witch too is that you know he kubo can draw really conventional looking dragons like the dragon usushi becomes but also these more abstract and distorted nightmares kind of designs like selby's is you know mm-hmm. it gives a lot of flavor and you, when you're thinking about okay how can the series be expanded into like a you know regular serial just the fact that kubo is so creative at playing around with the concept of what is a dragon and has so many unique design sensibilities that he can apply to inspire various different dragon-like creatures, I think there would be a lot of legs in a full serialization if he chose to turn it into one. I was going to say, I'm really conflicted because, like, I would not mind seeing more of Burn the Witch if it became a series, but I also want Kubo to just rest. (laughs) 
because I mean, like we've, I, I feel like we've probably talked about it on the show at one point or another, but he clearly was dealing with a lot of depression kind of near the end of Bleach, and it was really hard for him to like keep going at one point. So it's like, I kind of want him to just like rest as much as he can and just let him kind of come back whenever he wants to. But like, man, I, I really kind of want more Burn the Witch, even, even if it's just like a mini series. Like, like, if it's something, like, four volumes long, kind of like how long uh, Zombie Powder ended up being, just just something. I wouldn't mind at least seeing a little bit more of this world. Um, and, like you said, I didn't even, like, catch that. <laughs> like, as, as soon as you said, oh, it's uh, it's another branch of the Soul Society, I actually had to, like, scroll through the one shot and look. And it clearly says in English letters, Soul Society West Branch. And I totally did not catch that the first time I... Um, I read it and I feel really stupid because it's like right there. <laughs> Do you notice what the shaded parts of the Burn the Witch logo spell? Um, no, I didn't hear. Right on uh, the left page of that Soul Society West Branch image. Look at the uh, letters. Oh, it says bleach. Damn yes. it, I didn't I didn't yes. catch that at all. <laughs> <laughs> Man. Kubo, you sly dog, you putting in little easter eggs see that that's a great easter egg actually um but no yeah i i i'm also kind of conflicted because like because it's like you know i had a hard time getting into like the actual story because like you know kuba also has to like he has to like kind of set up the world of burn the witch like in as little time as possible because i mean like he has 60 pages to work with but like you also have to like set up your world and tell a somewhat complete story you know what I mean? So, like, he has to kind of, like, he kind of has to, like, explain a lot about this world in, like, as little time as possible, in as many, like, as much dialogue as he can, again, in, like, so little space. Um, so, like, you know, I'm I'm a lot more interested in the world of Burn the Witch, but, like, I think it's safe to say, like, we had a really hard time getting into, like, a whatever his name is, um, pervert guy, um... I just I just did not care about him at all and I was really wondering like what his actual relationship with uh, Noel was cuz like I'm I'm ha I'm having a lot of trouble trying to remember like like is he like a school friend? Yeah, they're childhood friends basically. Huh, that's that's kind of surprising to me considering like how obsessed he is with seeing her panties like I don't know, it's just it's so weird to me and I I like I went through this thing where, like, I didn't really think it was that funny at first, but then, like, his his desires manifest into this giant dragon that roars panties, or knickers in the uh, English translation. But, like, so it kind of circled around from, like, not being that funny and kind of tiresome to, like, this should not be funny, but it kind of is, because it's, it's, like, it's, like, such a weird thing. It's, like, such a weird thing that I kind of only expect from, like, manga, like... <laughs> I don't know. I like I don't I don't know how to describe it. It was just really weird to me. Yeah, I mean, I think that part in itself is like fine like the the dragon yelling knickers that's funny. But I think I guess I had a problem with this one shot in that immediately afterwards we get this complete tone whiplash because when Selby transforms into a dragon, 
after that point, it's like a couple of pages of like dramatic and serious pathos. I mean, there's some jokes peppered in, but basically the whole relationship between Bargo and Selby is supposed to be taken seriously as this big dramatic thing. Bargo makes his big speech about, you know, I've known you longer than I knew the real Selby. You're my friend. I can't abandon you and all that stuff. And so then I, it's like this, it's weird because we're supposed to take it seriously, but then it becomes a joke at the end because they kill <laughs> Selby and she's, and Bargo's like, wait, I thought with the way the scene was playing out, he wouldn't have to die. So for me, it's just like, oh, there's a lot of mixed messages and what the tone of the series is supposed to be. Am I supposed to take that part where Bargo is giving his speech seriously? Is that supposed to be parody i'm not sure so that whole section felt at odds with the rest of the chapter for me even though i actually think that was the most compelling part of the chapter more than the comedy part because bargo as a comedic character was just not working for me at all i really did not care for him i think that kubo does a really bad job with these kind of perverted characters and they're always really annoying cone back and bleach was the same way ichigo's friends who bargo reminds me a lot of keigo yeah like ichigo's one friend who was very similar in terms of his flighty and pervy personality it's just I never care for those kind of characters Kubo wrote. And so Bargo, the fact that he's so prominent and he actually has the emotional crux of the chapter in terms of his relationship with Selby, it just didn't work very well for me. I'm much more interested in Noel and Mimi and their whole job as conservationists of dragons. And I like that aspect of it, but I feel like I would like just the concept of Burn the Witch more if Bargo was not a part of it. I mean, I, I mean, the twist at the end that Bargo, because of his interactions with dragons, has become more dragon than human. And so they have to conserve him and basically keep watch over him. I get that is a funny enough twist, but like... I hate Bargo as a character so much that I don't want to see him around. I, I just want to see Noel and Nini do cool things, but I don't want Bargo to be involved at all. Yeah, like, I would have been really okay if, like, Bargo just never came back after his first scene. Yeah, just like Cone, they forget him for 500 chapters. You know, that'll be great. <laughs> they, just, they just forget him. And then he doesn't show up again after until the last arc of the series where he makes a cameo for a couple chapters and then is forgotten about again. That's how it'll be. That's how it should be. Or or just like Ichigo's friends becomes completely irrelevant. And see, that's that's the reason why I'm so conflicted on Kubo is because like I actually think now that I'm like you know thinking back on Bleach and uh, you know now, now that I've read Burn the Witch. I think he's a great artist. Like, I think he's actually pretty, like, you know, obviously, I think he had more passion and style, you know, back when, like, he first started Bleach. And, you know, I think it's safe to say that the quality of Bleach, as far as, like, its art kind of declined as far as, like, style goes. But I mean, like, it still looked pretty okay. And I th I think, like, Kubo is a competent artist. Like, I don't think anyone can say otherwise, personally. But, like, I just don't. Like, it's the same thing with Mashima. Like, I think they're great artists, but I sometimes I just don't like their storytelling at all. 
I mean, granted, like it, mm-hmm. it's it's not as bad here in Burn the Witch as as bad as it is. Like it could be in Bleach sometimes, but like I don't know, because like I just feel like Kubo focuses on like the wrong things sometimes. Like with Burn the Witch, like like we said, like I think I would have enjoyed Burn the Witch so much more if Kubo actually spent more time fleshing out the world and fle- uh, like actually did more world building, and we got to see Noel and Nini actually you know, do their jobs and, like, actually fight dragons and stuff, but, like, I I just think it was a wrong move to, like, like you said, give the emotional crux of the story to, you know, a character like Bargo. I just, I just had a hard time kind of getting into the one-shot completely because I just did not care about him as a character at all. And even, and even when he almost kind of got me with his, you know, like, as I think he could have had a great turnaround, you know, with him being, like, you know, his whole thing about him not giving up on his friend. Like, I think that could have been like the one redeeming quality of him that like Kubo could have maybe taken advantage of, but like he goes for like the anti-climax and it's like, to me, it's not really that funny. It feels really forced. (laughs) Like, it's just kind of like, it just kind of feels like, Oh, I have to end the one shot. Oh, I I'll make a joke out of this. Why not? I'll get a laugh out of my readers. But like, I just don't think it works. Yeah. I'm in agreement. I think that the chapter tried to do too much in terms of, you know, introducing the world and then introducing all these different characters that it just kept losing focus. And that was what I felt about Bleach, too, is that there was so much going on in Bleach that it really felt like it was losing focus chapter to chapter and within chapters themselves. (laughs) And I felt that with Burn the Witch, if he chose one direction and focused on fewer characters and more compelling and interesting characters, I would have been more into it. As it stands, I still think the premise is really interesting, and I like the character designs, especially Noel and Nini. And there are some really good expressions Noel has in particular I in the chapter, I think. And I think that the... You know, two-page spread of her shooting Selby with, like, her gun is a cool image. But, yeah, in general, I think there just needed to be less ideas and less things to focus on within this one shot, you know. Uh, Just narrow things down a little bit so that we could have, like, one clear direction and that all the characters, like, felt... Like, they were, all the characters were endearing and compelling and had, like, a groat within the the one shot. But I I think all of our, like, I guess all of our problems aside, like, I I still, I still enjoyed it, um, somewhat. Like, it was just nice to see more stuff from Kubo. Yeah, I mean, I liked reading it a lot because, again, I think that the idea, I liked a lot of the ideas and I liked a lot of the creature designs. You know, so I enjoyed reading it, even if it wasn't as cohesive in terms of a story and as compelling uh, as a story as I would have liked it to be. You know, I would have liked it to focus more on Noel and less on Barco. Mm-hmm. But yeah, no, I enjoyed it. And uh, yeah, I guess we can move on from that to talking about uh, Shokugeki no Sanji then. Yes, Shokugeki no Sanchi. This is a special one-shot that the Food Wars authors Yuto Sukuda and Shunseki have drawn to commemorate the 21st anniversary of One Piece and 50th anniversary of Shonen Jump in general. 
just a special little project about Sanji, who has had years of uh, focus. The year of Sanji bloomed to years of Sanji, and even after the whole Cake Island arc ended, uh, it's still the year of Sanji, I guess. Uh, will it ever end? But in any case, Shoku Geki no Sanji takes place before we are introduced to Sanji in One Piece, during his time at the Baratier. And so a snobby food critic comes to the Baratier and she thinks that the food of the Baratier is an insult, a gourmet taste everywhere. She refuses to even eat it. She insults Sanji thinking he's just a waiter. You know, they, they're worried about her because uh, she is a famous gourmand, even on the Grand Line and... They, people call her the tongue that spans the seas. And so they're worried that if they get she gives a bad review of the Baratier, you know, that will doom the Baratier. It'll ruin its reputation. Patty and Karn take up the challenge at first. So like, oh, c- can you serve me a dish that looks, you know, in any way good? And because she thinks that only true gourmet, you know, needs to be made with luxury ingredients and stuff. You know, it's she's very much a food warrior's antagonist in that way. So she kind of goes Sanji on and by insults Zeph and uh, you know, f- you know, for having like a cheap rundown excuse for a restaurant. So that pisses Sanji off because she's insulted Zeph's honor, and so he goes to prepare the dish himself, and he makes a really cool looking lobster dish. That is, uh, of course, made of a fictional lobster called the Tomahawk Lobster. And uh, we get two, basically, uh, food wars, uh, food orgasm images. And one is, like, just uh, Saverine in her normal form. Uh, you know, she when she, you know she's just, you know, still her big fat self. And, like, uh, yeah. So, so, basically, you know, they explain... All the jargon about what how Sanji, you know, made the fish taste so good. But the point of it is, is that just you don't need gourmet ingredients to make a good dish. You know, pretentious dishes like she talked about, you know, the, the Roddy can make them. But like what their goal is, is to just provide good and filling food to everyone, anyone who comes there. And that is their ethos as a restaurant. And so... She had no right to insult it, and so Isanji tells her to clean her plate, and then the build-up to, like, the final foodgasm is pretty great, because it plays off uh, off the idea of a devil fruit in a fun way. Uh, it feels as though I'm being reborn from the inside out. It's so good that I... It feels like I've had a taste of a delicious fruit, a forbidden fruit that changes a person completely, granting them new and amazing powers. A devil fruit, the strip strip fruit. And so that was pretty funny, a lot of fun. And then, uh, yeah, that's basically the chapter. And then it ends with Seth thinking, hmm, Sanji's grown a lot. He might have outgrown this little restaurant, which sets up because at the end of the chapter, they see the straw hat ship arriving. And so this is giving the idea, oh, so, you know, Sanji's actions here, the dish he served the Sovereign, might have been kind of what inspired Seth to think about, you know, convincing Sanji to leave the ship and explore the world. So that was like a nice little touch, a nice little tie-in to, you know, Sanji's arc in One Piece, and especially like Baratie, the arc in general. So, yeah, it was just a lot of 
it was a fun little chapter. It's basically a Food Wars chapter. You know, Sanji behaves kind of more like Soma than I feel like he behaved like Sanji uh, from early One Piece. But it works because I, their ethos as chef is similar enough. I never felt like this wasn't Sanji. Uh, and I guess the another cool thing about it is this, this is the return of cool Sanji. Sanji is like a cool, awesome kind of character. and Because I feel like in One Piece in recent years, Sanji as a character, he's... He's, he doesn't have that swagger he had in early One Piece that, you know, kind of made him, like, the cool guy of the group. Nowadays, I think of him more as a goofier character, a character with a lot of heart, but I never think of him as, like, the, the cool badass, like, he, he used to be, I feel, in early One Piece. And this chapter has that in spades. I was gonna say, we have people like Trafalgar Law for that nowadays, even though he hasn't really been around, but still, my point still stands. Um... Yeah, I, I thought this was a really fun, like, little thing. Um, and like you said, I really appreciate kind of the connection to, like, the actual, like, Baradier arc and how this this kind of is basically the catalyst for uh, Zeph thinking about basically trying to convince Sanji to get out on his own and whatnot. Um, so I really like that connection there. And, uh, you know, it's it's been, like, said a million times online, so this isn't really anything new. But I mean... Damn, Sanji looks hot. <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> um, like, uh, Shun Saiki, uh, like, really took the time to, like, to draw Sanji as, like, as attractive and as hot as possible. Like, it, it takes him, like, like, two and a half pages to, like, take off his jacket. <laughs> it's just, yeah. I, 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 like, I love stuff like that. I, like... I love how hot he can draw Sanji, but like he he still has he still does a really great job of like drawing Sanji more like whimsically with a more like kind of like innocent look in his eyes. Like, yeah, again, very Soma like expressions mm -hmm. they came across to be. But uh, yeah, I just I really I really like this take on um, I guess just kind of on One Piece in general. Like, I think. Um, I think certain like character designs like, you know, Patty and Carne it, like in particular like they don't look, you know, too out of place in like the food war style. They look very like rough and grizzled and chiseled like they just they 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 look really good too like some somehow like, you know, like uh Patty's like Popeye arms, you know, they don't look like super grotesque or anything cuz like, you know, the Saiki style his uh, his art obviously is a lot more like realistic compared to Oda's as far as like I guess human anatomy goes. I I like how those features when they translate to a more realistic and more grounded style they don't look like out of place or grotesque and like I just love this take on um on the Baradier staff as far as the art goes and I mean like you said it it was basically a food wars chapter but I mean like it was a lot of fun and I had a lot of fun reading it. Yeah. Like I said, it's really nice to see cool Sanji, and he, again, yeah, Seiki's art is just super good, and makes him look super hot and cool, and yeah, <laughs> that's basically it. It's just, Sanji's awesome in this chapter, and uh, it's just nice to see cool Sanji like this again. Like, it's nice to have this kind of moment from Sanji, you know, to see, see a story about Sanji like this, because we haven't. Like, even in the 
whole cake island arc, he didn't have a moment like this where he cooked a dish and he had this moment of was like explaining, you know, this is my ethos as a chef. You know, he doesn't, he didn't have that in the whole cake island arc. And that's one disappointment I had with it. I know. Cause you have, uh, you have stuff in this chapter. Like he's constantly like trying to tell Savarine, like, Hey, you should really like clean the food off your dish. And like, I like just like little nuances in his character like that. I feel like we don't, really get a chance to revisit at all because like i mean obviously they're not super relevant but like i really miss the days when like we like where sanji got the show off those nuances where it's like you know again he's like he's very i don't want to say obsessed but like that's kind of his that's kind of his golden rule is like hey you want to like be sure to eat everything off your plate like he doesn't like wasting food obviously because of like yeah yeah because of his backstory and whatnot but like you know just stuff like that and like you know just like like i i miss the i miss the nuances like that in his character because i feel like sanji is just in a way he's 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 such a different character now compared to what he was at the beginning that like i don't want to say he's like a completely different character but he doesn't feel the same to me like i feel like this was a great return to form for sanji but it's unfortunate because you know it it kind of took this chapter to really kind of i guess revisit those again like i i wish we had a chance to revisit these in like the actual series and it's also revisiting him at a point you know before we were introduced to him in the series proper like mm-hmm. this is, this all takes place before the straw hats even meet him yeah, it just really showcases like how much more interesting he was like at the start of the series compared to now. I don't think he's any less interesting. I think Whole Cake did a big job of bringing Sanji back to form as a character. But I think that one thing that has still been lost about Sanji is his ethos as a chef, like how that his how his feelings about food and cooking translate into his personality and his beliefs. So I feel that has been lost in the wayside for the chivalrous aspect of his character, which has taken more dominance and was more the focus of Whole Cake than uh, even though Whole Cake was a, there was a lot of food uh related things in that arc that could have you know really allowed sanji to take advantage of you know his cooking they they didn't really end up doing a whole lot with why that is a huge part of his character i feel it was more about honor than about like i believe in this is what i believe in that you know about food and what it means to people yeah, see, and that's my thing, too, is that, like, he wasn't necessarily, like, terrible in Whole Cake. I agree with you. Like, I think Whole Cake was a great step up for his character compared to what we had been getting from him, like, you know, previously. Um, especially since, like, like before the very beginning of, like, the time skip and whatnot. Yeah, I mean, Triller Bark kind of did—it was where, like, the decline really happened, I think, because— I would even argue, like, Ennius Lobby, actually— Maybe, but, like, when Oda gives him a a stated goal that he wanted, like, that invisible fruit so he could, like, spy on ladies and stuff, that was like, oh, my God, what are you doing with Sanji? (laughs) That is is crossing a line. Like, he's not supposed to be a pervert. He's supposed to just be chivalrous. What are you doing, Oda? You're you're misunderstanding your own character. (laughs) 
like, and that's the thing. I'm I'm fine with him like finding over women because, like, you know, that could be that could be kind of an endearing trait because you know he just he, he just he just likes women. Okay, like you can do that and not be creepy about it. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Yeah, and he used to not, but he used to be a gentleman, but now he. He literally has to get a blood transfusion because his nose bleed uh, upon seeing a mermaid, you know, causes him to bleed, lose so much blood that he needs a blood transfusion. It's, it's, it goes too far. It went too far. Yeah, he's basically Sanji's gone through like a real flanderization of his character where it's like, yeah, oh, here's this one trait. Let's just make him like 90% all about that. And it's like, that's. That's what bothers me about his character so much nowadays. Even though, like I said, I agree that I think he had good moments in Whole Cake, and I think he had a... While I don't think it was executed, like, as well as it could have been, I think he had a decent enough character arc in Whole Cake, but, like, yeah, I just don't think... He has not gotten back to what he used to be fully, unfortunately. Mm Mm-hmm. You know what this chapter really reminded me of, actually, was a one of my favorite episodes of the One Piece anime, which is actually a filler episode, which is taking place during the G8 arc, where Sanji is challenged by the head chef of G8, you know, to do a cooking contest, basically, to feed these soldiers, basically, you know, a bunch of soldiers a hearty meal using whatever resources they had. So Sanji lets, like, her staff have the first pick. And so they choose, of course, all the finest ingredients, all the juiciest ingredients. And basically all that's left for Sanji afterwards is just a bunch of scraps. But Sanji uses those scraps and he takes them and makes an incredibly delicious meal. A meal more delicious than the head chef's entire team of staff, uh, entire staff could make or made. And all the soldiers who eat it just absolutely love it. And it just shows like this is, is what Sanji's uh, ethos is, you know? There is no such thing as bad food or like it doesn't matter how, how many high quality ingredients you have. It's about how you use those ingredients. And at the end of the day, what makes a good meal is not the so-called quality level of the ingredient, but like the flavor, the enjoyment had by the person eating it. And so Sanji emphasizes that, emphasizes like what these soldiers needed in terms of like, you know, nutritional value and what their tastes would be like. And he takes all that into account while preparing this meal out of, you know, what is supposed to be scraps, like the the very least, you know, (laughs) resources he had available. And it, you know, that's why it's one of my favorite episodes, because, like, it's just such an awesome example for Sanji as a character that, he, you know, he doesn't, and why he is, and what his, you know, ethos is as a cook again. It's just, I I really like that aspect of Sanji's character, and I'm really sad that, you know, it's been lost in the series proper for so long. And, yeah, again, that's why I really like this one-shot, because it was a throwback to that. Something that was very integral to his character that, you know, I've been missing for a long time. I think that's why I enjoyed this chapter so much, too, was because, yeah, it was it was just a reminder of, like, why, like, I think so many people fell in love with Sanji as a character from the beginning. And, um, you know, I still hold out hope that, you know, he's he's been getting he's been getting better but I'm still holding out hope that one day 
you know, we could start focusing on aspects of his character that are way more interesting than his chivalry or his, you know, or his horniness, you know, like I'm, I'm still holding out hope. I'm still, I'm still optimistic. I think Sanji rebounded as a character quite a bit during Whole Cake. I would definitely say that in terms of post time skip character development, he's in the lead of the pack in terms of the how the rest of the Straw Hats have been handled post time skip because I don't think any of the other Straw Hats have really received as much development as Sanji did in Whole Cake. Mm, yeah, not really, but I would also argue that I think Luffy has at least gone through like a very subtle development. I feel like he's. I feel like he's kind of yeah. different. I but mean, I mean, Luffy yeah. has been consistent and has you know benefited the most from being in focus for every arc and you know the entire course of the series. Yeah, I think that two year time skip. Uh, well, not the two year time skip, but I think the two years where the Straw Hats were not a part of the story, and it was just Luffy and other characters during the Impel Down and Whitebeard War arcs. You know, I think that did a uh, disservice. Uh, that was to the detriment of the other Straw Hats because I, I agree, feel like yeah. when they came back post time skip, Oda reduced them to their basis parts but did not provide them with the same amount of compelling character development focus as he had previously done in you know the pre-time skip arcs no i completely agree yeah i mean just the fact that the straw hats that during entire arcs we only have half the crew uh for the arc and the other half is just not in the story i think that has done a huge disservice to a lot of the straw hats as characters mm -hmm. um but yeah shoko keki no sanji was good <laughs> yeah it was really good i enjoyed it a lot and i want more uh one shots by other authors about one piece characters that uh kind of give us a nice throwback to their early days you know i would like to see uh one shots for basically all the straw hats you know uh, I don't know what kind of pairings would we would I think up of uh, four <sighs> one shots for the other characters. I don't know. That's a that's a really tough one. Um, oh man, I would love to see maybe like Kohei Horikoshi's take on One Piece. Maybe I think that could be kind of fun. Horikoshi Frank. I feel like. Well, I guess. Huh. I guess I was gonna say Frankie because I feel like I don't know. There's something I feel like that character would be in spirit of something Horikoshi would be good at, like making a good story around. But then he could also like make a Chopper Man one shot. I guess. Oh, that would be great. I guess that's more definitely superhero related. Maybe, uh, maybe Sirachi could do like a like a one shot involving like Zoro or Mihawk or something. Some something or maybe even like. Uh, I don't know, just just something samurai related. I think would be up his alley. Maybe do like a prequel one shot about Zoro or something. <laughs> Maybe have him getting into like different shenanigans. I think that could be funny. Yeah, I think that Inagaki and Boishi could probably do something fun with Robin and her love of uh, archaeology. Ooh, yeah, that would be great, actually. Um, yeah, so there are like a ton of possibilities. Um, I'm I I doubt they'll probably do any more, but like. I would love to see more like this. I like I would just I would just love to see like different authors from Jump and their just their take on any One Piece character in general. Mm hmm. Yeah. I mean, even outside the main cast, like we could do stories about Ace or other side characters. So 
That'd be nice. Yeah, that would be good. Um, but I, I think that's about it for the show, then. I, I think we've talked about everything we wanted to talk about. Basically, uh, we had a lot of discussion out of these jump starts and one shots. So I think this made for a pretty good episode. Mm-hmm, yeah. Um, but I guess, uh, Sid, do you want to talk about what's in store for next episode? Or do we want to wait until uh, things are kind of set in stone first? Because I feel like every time we talk about what we want to do next episode, things always change. Well, our plan for the next episode is to do a Shaman King podcast to commemorate its 20th anniversary, and I will be doing that with We Lord and uh, our good friend Maxi Bernard of Friendship Effort Victory. Shaman King was one of his first manga, and it holds a very dear place in his heart, so we had to invite him on board for that. And I am really looking forward to that discussion, having recently finished Shaman King for the first time, reading it for the first time, and really enjoying it. So hopefully we will have that out as the next episode, but... Well, let's just say We Lord has a lot of the series to go through because of poor time management on his end. <laughs> so we will see if that will indeed be the next episode or not. But I am committed to doing that episode one way or another because I like Shaman King a lot and I want to talk about it. But we have other plans for this month. Of course, we have Shodan Jump-related podcasts coming out for the rest of the year, and we are working on a very special Shonen Jump retrospective that we're really excited to, you know, start working on, and we'll hopefully have that for you guys in the next month or so. But uh, even nearer than that, after Shaman King, will be our Bakuman discussion, which, you know, has also been in the works for a long time, and it's a pretty appropriate a uh, discussion to have as a shonen jump manga about making shonen jump manga to talk about it in the fifth year celebrating the 50th anniversary of jump and it's also the 10th anniversary of bakuman in general so there's that as well oh yeah that'll be interesting to revisit um but yeah that's pretty much what, we, what you guys can look forward to hopefully in the next month here or so but uh for now, I think we should just end the episode and uh, talk about where you can uh, find uh, our stuff and where you can find us online. So, uh, Sid, why don't you go first? You can find me as at Lomromayasha on Twitter, Annie List, my enemy list. Basically, wherever there is a Lomromayasha, that is where and how you can find me. And you can read my reviews on all-comic.com. I write monthly reviews of Dragon Ball Super and reviews of other manga as well. And I have other projects in the works that I will reveal at later dates. But until then, that is where you can find me and read my stuff. All right. Yeah, definitely go check out all of Sid's reviews when they're up. And just check out his stuff in general. Uh, but as for me, I'm Colton. You can find me on Twitter at SniperKing323. Uh, and uh, yeah, I guess I, I have a few other podcasts as well, such as uh, Life Lessons, the Gintama Manga Cast, over at GintalifeLessons.wordpress.com, which basically is just me covering the Gintama Manga via the old uh, Viz Media release that is now discontinued, starting from the beginning of that. And, uh, you know, if you maybe want a show that's kind of similar to that, but talks about 
uh, Detective Conan or Case Closed, you can find uh, One Podcast Prevails at onepodcastprevails.com. Again, essentially the same show, except my good friend Doctor from the Ask Backwards Anime Podcast and I talk about Detective Conan slash Case Closed through the uh, official English release, again, from Viz Media. And uh, we talk about a case by case. Um, again, I really, I really like recording that show. So you can find that again at uh, onepodcastprevails.com. But uh, as for all comic and, and the podcast, you can go to all-comic.com and find every episode of the podcast because that is where we put every episode of the podcast first. And you can also follow us on facebook.com slash all.comic or on twitter.com slash allcomic underscore. But if you want to follow the uh, Manga Mavericks podcast specifically, you want to get all the latest updates on the podcast and whatnot, you want to follow us on Twitter at manga underscore mavericks as well as mangamavericks.tumblr.com. And you can also subscribe to our YouTube channel over at youtube.com slash manga mavericks, where we post, you know, many different excerpts of our podcast, such, such as our, uh, uh, such as our discussions and uh, certain news pieces we talk about or whatnot that are of interest. So definitely go subscribe to our YouTube channel over there and uh, email us anything about, uh, you know, uh, what did you think about these new jump starts and what shots and whatnot? Uh, what are you reading? Uh, what do you want us to talk about on the show? Uh, email us anything about the podcast or just in general, and we'll read it on the show. And you can send us those emails at mavericks at gmail.com. But the most important thing, guys, is that you subscribe, rate, and review us on Apple Podcasts. Um, you know, it helps the visibility of our show and helps us get our show out there uh, just that much more. Uh, so please do that if you have the time or if you so wish to. And uh, that's going to be about it for the show. So, uh, yeah, uh, thank you guys for listening so much. And uh, this was episode 55 of the podcast. And we will see you guys next time for episode 56. Bye, guys. Sayonara. Sayonara.